Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, it is Cinematics. This is a new week batch of episodes of Cinematics. This is episode number 220 for the week covering December, Friday, December 15th. We have some interesting movies, three featured films, as well as Bruce Perky's What's in the Box Pick. That box pick, Bruce Perky, is... In the Heat of the Night. In the heat. 60, what? Two? Three? Oh, maybe. I'm thinking late 60s, Bruce. I could uh, be 1967. Wrong. Seven, yes. 1967. That is directed, if I believe, by Norman Jewison, starring Sidney Poitier. Rod Steiger, I believe. I, it's going to be interesting. Bruce Berkey and Eric Holmes, they will be, as the proverbial phrase goes, they will, they will be bringing up the rear of this episode, talking about in the heat of the night. So our three features are Concrete Utopia, a movie called Walden. No, that is not based on the Henry David Thoreau novel. I believe Thoreau wrote Walden. Is Am I correct, Bruce? I'm not a yes. literary. Oh, Eric, you're the one who reads. Yes. No I, I, I didn't read Walden, but I know that he wrote that. Yeah. Have you ever been out in the woods by yourself, Eric, to contemplate the state of things? You live in I've been nature. in the woods by myself, not to contemplate anything, just uh, taking the motorcycle out to the mountains and camping but yeah do you like to camp do you are you close to the mountains and nature where you, your envir- environs is your, your your environment is are you close to nature eric i can be i i, I don't prefer it, especially now when it's cold outside i'm oh, very very cold i'm a city slicker like you bruce you're a you're a city slicker if you didn't have a family you just live on a sky rise and make sure everyone around you froze to death correct bruce Berkey? exactly the opposite no i would <laughs> live out somewhere Kind of country-ish, if I could, or close to water. I'm not. That's one thing I really miss down here is I'm not close to the ocean, so I miss that. You miss the ocean. If you were a multi-gajillionaire, Bruce, would you would you live in a sky ride? You would. You would live out in the. You said on the country with a lot of land, maybe animals close to a multi-gajillionaire. I'd buy. Uh, let's see. I'd buy. Here's what I do. I would buy <laughs> Crater Lake State National Park if I could afford it, and then I would uh, build a like a overlook lodge on the rim of crater lake oh that sounds very i got i've got to google that i'm sure it's very very beautiful let's see what we have deepest lake in the world oh really good good bruce i I, I don't know anything what to deal with nature or the earth only my only knowledge is movies bruce and eric before we get to features do you have anything to plug promote mention before we launch into it i have one thing Okay, let's hear it. Uh, go to finderfilmpodcast.com and you can get one of these guys right here. One of those guys. You and For our audio listeners, Eric, can you specifically describe the posters that are script posters that are in the back of your domicile, your room? Yes, there's a script poster for uh, <clears throat> Last Man on Earth, movies okay. in public domain, so it's cool. <laughs> oh, very public domain. Okay, that sounds good. And how long does it take for you to just drum the does it take a while and then you print it out is that what what happens the first one took forever because i was trying to figure out how to do it and then now that i know how to do them uh they go pretty relatively quick got to find a poster and then like i previously had one of a bucket of blood and uh metropolis on there so you have to find a poster that's in the public domain and then you got to find the script 
that's a little tougher because not, you know, just because the movie's in the public domain doesn't mean the script's readily available. And then some of like the really old uh, old movies, the scripts are really short, so they don't lend themselves well to script posters. Hmm. Okay. Eric is the artist of the bunch. Check out findyourfilmpodcast.com. Per his whims, there might be different. I mean, he still hasn't done the horse-drawn carriage card that we've we've wanted to for years. From <laughs> we had the shower. They still, have, they still haven't offered that yet. But as soon as they do, there will be a cinematic horse-drawn carriage card. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the Phantom carriage is in the public domain. That's from like nineteen. 19- 12 or something if you oh, find that that is very cool i think our shower i don't know if our shower curtains are still up there but we're you know we it was just in jokes from a couple of years back but i think shower curtains are available but we have shirts mugs please support you know what a couple things we i didn't tell bruce this but that we just reached 501 subscribers on our cinematics youtube channel i think that means we can enable our merch store on that channel most importantly along with the merch you can listen to our cinematics episodes on YouTube as well. If you do not want to check them out, check us out on what Acast or Apple Podcasts, whatever podcast platform you use, you can actually listen to us on, on YouTube as well. All our new episodes are up audio style on our cinematics YouTube channel. And please support, like, like, comment, subscribe, and yeah, check out Eric's doings on the on our merch store. He does a lot of crazy stuff. He had a Greg Slick shirt. Months ago, I think that was limited av- limited availability. Nope. I think oh, it's still on there. It's still I think there. It's still on there. Is there a Bruce Perky shirt there too? Here it comes. Uh, there was, but it was. I think I had to take that down because of the Hellraiser thing on there, which is why I'm worried about this. I don't know how long it's going to be there, but like the Bruce Perky one, they're like, "Yeah, we can't do that." I'm like, "Son of a, <laughs> I'd love that <laughs> I have shirt." <laughs> I have to be rare. I think there's at least one hard copy out there in the world, so that's that's all that matters. That is all what, that matters. What was that? Uh, what was that? Did someone do the the poopy Perky or something yeah. like that? <laughs> Send that to me. I'll make a, I'll make a t-shirt of that. Yeah. Oh, also, God. God help whatever poor soul is wearing that. Oh, we love Bruce you. is like, I am not sending that to you. Oh, we love you, Ryan Smith. Thank you for that poopy perky image that you put on our Cinematics Facebook group. That was very good from about a week and a half ago. I want to apologize to our Cinematics Patreon members. I haven't done the poll yet. I've just been slacking, just have been doing a lot of work. But this month for the month of december we are covering i believe bruce and eric the year 1983 bruce suggested a bunch of movies i'm doing we're gonna do the mike my our pick is a michael mann film the keep hopefully it's available on just watch i haven't checked i'm sure i haven't seen this michael mann film i don't know if it's any good i don't know bruce and eric will okay bruce bruce is getting doing eh. i think but you know you'll at least you'll at least like the soundtrack i think <laughs> that's it's it's a weird failed um uh it's it's a weird movie okay we're, failed is fine i'm I, i'm used to failed but look ferrari is part of this season part of these best best of the year kind of things and it's michael mann's latest film it's first film in a while since black hat that movie that that actually tanked some some several years back, but I hear that I, I remember watching Black Hat at a, at a screening was a little bit disappointed. Would love to see what I think about it now. Ferrari is coming out, or it's out. It'll be out this holiday season because it's Michael Mann's latest film. And for our Patreon, I thought it was, it'd be a good idea to for all all three of us to review the Keep because that's one of Michael Mann's, if not his earliest film. So no, his earliest film I think probably would be Thief. So, anyways, I'm I'm excited to check out the Keep and see how failed of a movie that is. That's for our Patreon. The other one, going back to the polling, Patreon members, I will definitely put something up on our Patreon feed regarding 
what movie do you want us to review as well for the year 1983? Now let's get back to the year 2023. Three films available. Let us start off with the aforementioned Walden. It centers on a stenographer named Walden Dean, played by Emile Hirsch. Movie co-stars Tanya Tanya Raymond. Thank you, Eric Holmes. You asked Tanya how to pronounce her name. I would have always called her Raymond, but it's Tanya Raymond. You might might know her from Goliath and Lost. She plays a detective in this movie. Co-detective in this movie is played by Shane West. David Keith is in this movie. He plays a judge. Kelly Garner is a possible love interest to the eccentric Walden Dean. And Eric and Bruce, what can I really say about Walden without giving too much away? I'm sure people give whatever they want to give away with Walden. Should we say what he does? He's a stenographer. Should we mention any kind of twist? It's sort of in the trailer. Eric, I'm going to actually let you do the powers on this. What can we really explain about the plot behind Walden? Uh, So he's, I mean, you mentioned he's a stenographer. So he's privy to a bunch of different court cases, you know, somewhere it seems that the bad guys are let loose for one reason or another, either there's not enough evidence or there is evidence and it just wasn't being able to admit it for one reason or another. And then at some point he decides to take matters in his own hands. He kind of falls into it. At this point, I think it's been about a month since I've seen it, but as I recall, he kind of fell into it a little bit because he's not a vigilante type. He's like, his character is like really quirky for sure. And one of the things I liked about Emil Hirsch's performance in this was that like, he just kind of rode the line. Like he almost went too far, but I thought he kind of stayed, stayed the line until he started getting in vigilante mode. And then once he gets into vigilante mode, like about halfway through the movie, then that quirk kind of goes a little over the top. But I still I still dug it because it kind of fit with where the movie was going at that point. I do also want to point out Luke Davis, uh, General George. He's like uh, at, at first I didn't really like his character because it felt like a typical someone with uh, mental disabilities and it seemed like the typical character you would write for something like that. But then later on in the movie, he gets he gets a little more to do. His character gets a little more to do, and his character is a lot more rented out. And I just like the way that Luke Davis played him. Love David Keith in this. Tanya Ramon and Shane West are kind of the two detectives trying to figure out the who's doing all these uh, murders. With uh, movies, vigilante movies, it's kind of becomes one of those things where the cops are like, oh, I killed him, but I'm cool with it. But then they're also trying to figure out the the overarching murders, which is the or missing children rather. So it's got kind of a little bit of yeah. That's uh, good. Good point. There's a double yeah. layering of the murders. There's a murder yeah. about missing children. What's going on with that? And there are murders because some sort of quote unquote bad people are getting murdered as well. So there, it's sort of are these it, are these murders tied together, or are they separate murders altogether? That is what's going on in this seemingly sleepy small town and the movie is called Walden. Eric, I interrupted you. What what else you want to say before Bruce gets in? Oh, no, I was just going to say the, the overarching murders kind of uh, is a lot like prisoners, kind of that kind of story where, you know, there's a bunch of murders going on and they don't, uh, it's not exactly like prisoners because Emil Hirsch isn't, he isn't putting Luke Davis in a uh, hot shower until he admits <laughs> to doing something. There isn't anything like that, but it's basically a murder mystery more or less. Running at 102 minutes. It is not rated. Bruce, your judgment on Walden. <laughs> judgment. I've been taking notes. Very, very, 
very uh, <laughs> judiciously. Yes, that's it. Uh, this movie, uh, yeah. It's, first of all, <laughs> I think his performance didn't have to tip to get to, to get over the top for me. I was I was having a hard time with it all the way throughout, but definitely it, it tips further in the second half. Emil Hirsch definitely goes all the way. I don't know what is he doing. It's not really Forrest Gump exactly, but it's like a manic nerd something. I don't know something like that. This this is an odd movie in that okay. I don't know if this will make sense. It is supposed to be a small town, but you have movies where you feel like it's a lived-in universe. The characters you're seeing are just part of that lived-in universe. And this is a universe where it feels like the, the characters that we see are the only characters in that universe. Like if they go to church, every person that we've met in this universe is at church service at the same time. And they're the only ones there. <laughs> and, and they all have interlocking stories at the same time. And it's supposed to be a town where it's not. So, so it makes you definitely know um, mystery-wise it's a little more like, as far as the way it works, it almost works like one of those movies where everyone's stuck in a, you know, house together, like a, I don't know, clue or something where, okay, one of these people is going to be the killer because only people we've seen are the only people in this universe. So one of them has got to be the killer. So then you kind of have to narrow that down and it's not too hard to narrow down, I think, but meh, whatever. Uh, I, I did find it a little amusing that he's got, I don't know, conservatively... 40 legal boxes in his small house apartment, whatever he's got of all he's got, of the transcripts. He's got a lot of, of them. Yeah. Of every transcript he's ever typed up in every court case. So I, I kind of had a question about that. Like, don't they keep those? So does he make photocopies, but the photocopies look like the original copy. So I kind of wondered logistically how that worked or he wasn't making duplicates as he typed them. Uh, I also found it quite amusing how uh, it was like a family business. Basically they've been doing this for generations and he had his dad's, stenography like machine and he meticulously clean it so in a way it was really odd it was like <laughs> like the vigilante who's always been a great marksman you know and he kept his dad's gun clean for 50 years just waiting for the chance to use it and it's kind of like he's doing that with a, with a stenographer machine or whatever that is that's that was kind of fun i, I honestly think that for me it would have worked better if they had leaned into the oddness of the premise i mean it was already kind of odd but having a stenographer basically stenographer death wish stenographer dirty harry i mean actually you, that sounds pretty good <laughs> yeah but i i feel like they could have really gone into it more you know these kind of movies uh to me they work if they're really serious and really grounded or if they just go we're campy we're gonna just go all the way like john waters doing this movie oh man i would have been all in but the way it is here it's like mm, not so much yeah i know it was a drama so, so it was supposed to be a somber drama about a person with a past, a stenographer. Like everyone, he has he has things, he has skeletons in his closet, as, as one would say. But it also could verge on camp because Bruce was mentioning might be stenographer death wish, so to speak. And it is a genre-fied horror thriller suspense movie. That's the genre. There will be violence. So there's an intermingling of it. And is it one or the other? It's both. And I love both. I thought everything worked. I liked the performances. I thought Emil Hirsch's, it was campy, but it wasn't overmodulated. Like my microphone right now. It, everything was fine. I thought I just thought it was a very special and interesting movie. I'm going to watch it again. I don't know. For me, Walden, right down the mark, hit the target. I thought it was quirky and interesting. I'm giving it four stars. I, I like Walden. Eric, let's go through. I, I actually liked uh, Emil Hirsch's performance. It, it felt like the... You know, you got people in your life that are a little quirky, but like they're realistic towards that halfway when he turned that quirk up to 11 and then went 
went super quirk with it. Um, I I really enjoyed that. I I do kind of agree with Bruce that I kind of wish it would have leaned a little more into that. But as it is, I I just enjoyed watching it. I like the characters and yeah. Oh, and uh, and Luke Davis cannot say enough good things about Luke Davis. I didn't like his character at first when he was first introduced, but as his character was kind of got filled out a lot more, I, I enjoyed him more. Basically, I just want to see Luke Davis in more things. So let me just repeat again. It's four stars, right? Eric, four stars for you. Yeah. Because I, I didn't get you the first time. Okay. Four stars for Eric, four stars for me and Bruce. I will probably go two and a half stars. And I do have to mention there's an awesome scene where a hardened detective goes into a room and sees something and shrieks to the, and falls to the floor, expected him to start puking. And I was like, why? Why would that hardened detective get so freaked out by what they saw? But, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be like seven or something. Anyway, two and a half. Without giving away, without giving away what, what scene was that? I won't say. It was towards the end. They made a discovery. Uh, the partners made a discovery, and one of the partners just started just losing their S. And I was, was that like, Was that like in a basement or a, a cellar of some sort? Yeah, it was after when another character said, don't go in there, it'll change you. Gotcha. Something like that. I know exactly. <laughs> I know exactly. And, and actually, that's weird because there was a scene like way early on. Uh, I think it was the first guy that went to court, the, the crazy guy. Yeah. And they had a quick scene of that too. I figure if that's not going to make you throw up. <laughs> really exactly point. You, you, do, I, I, you do have a point there but you know <laughs> i mean what's this little this nitpicks whatever two and a half all right two and a half for bruce four stars for me and eric walden is now available on digital and on demand check it out it says eric and i who says otherwise now let's get to concrete utopia south korea's official oscar submission it's select theaters friday december 15th on the press release, it said New York and L.A. primarily, but look, Google Concrete, Concrete Utopia, it might be playing in your neck of the woods Friday or in the coming weeks. I don't know. I just have a feeling that this movie might be buried amidst all of these Oscar movies flying forth, back and forth these this month. And running at 129 minutes, this movie hopefully will not be ignored. It centers on, it's literally post-apocalyptic, where Seoul is now collapsed. Everything around it is pretty much rubble. Most of the people around Seoul are dead, buried under rubble. Ironically, or in a fatalistic or a weird twist of fate, there is one sky rise, one high rise called the Huang Gung Apartments, high rise that is still left standing. And the people who are surviving there are the residents. Here's the catch, though. There's a boss of the, there's there has to be a way for all of them to survive. So they nominate this person. They call him the delegate. And he's played by Lee Byung-hun. And he's very, very good in this movie. He has his own share of mysteries. But anyways, as, as the story progresses, the delegate wields his power on the people living in this complex. And their main mission is to survive in this high rise. What does that mean? Well, possibly evicting people or shaming people who are not actual owners of these apartment complexes these apartment units, and also everyone outside the sky rise, meaning everyone else in the world should not are not allowed to come to their high rise or else, who knows, they may be beaten up, they may be even possibly killed, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a survivalist thriller set in South Korea, concrete utopia. Bruce Perky, take it away. Yeah, I, I really ended up liking this movie a lot. And 
it's I think you are right that this could easily get lost because first of all, I saw the name Concrete Utopia and the poster. And I was like, I don't really know what this movie's about. I thought, is this a documentary about people who live on the streets or something or live in like rubble of out of areas that have gone to disarray in certain towns or something? You know, and it even starts out, I, th I thought it was going to be a documentary because it starts out with kind of this documentary footage stuff. And it's talking about sort of how, I guess, in Korea right now, there's kind of a, a lottery system and it's kind of like a prestige thing to get chosen to live in certain buildings and certain buildings are cooler or more prestigious than other buildings, whatever. That was kind of an interesting, uh, I guess, context the, the movie starts with. And then, like you said, immediately there's this massive earthquake and everything's turned into rubble except for this building pretty much. Uh, what I really enjoyed about this, and I'll be curious to hear what you guys think, um, is it ends up kind of putting you in that situation of like, well, what do you do in this situation? And, you know, you could say, oh, it's like, you know, like some of these uh, zombie movies, but it's a little, I think it's a little bit smarter than that, a little more interesting than that, whereas like you're in this building, the people are reasonable. They're just trying to survive. They all get together and talk about it. Like, what do we want to do? How do we want to keep order? How do we want to make this a livable place? So they're really starting from this logical, um, everybody were working together to try to make this work kind of a thing. Even the way they picked the delegate, you know, like there's a fire breaks out in one of the apartments and he bolts into action and some other people do too, but he really goes out of his way to try to stop this fire because obviously a fire in the last apartment building <laughs> in the world for them, as far as they're concerned, is a really dangerous thing. So they're like, this guy is a guy, a man of action. We can trust him. Let's make him our, our leader. What I like about this is it be, kind of becomes, it could be social commentary, obviously, you know, haves and have nots. You can, you can, apply it to the world if you want to do that but it's also just a fun kind of post not fun but interesting and engaging post-apocalyptic survival story as far as that goes and just the idea of how do you go from being these you know just people like we are now to all of a sudden stopping at some point and looking back at yourselves and going like have we become negan have we become that group? <laughs> Are we them now? Are we the, the bad people? So there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of that that's really, really fascinating. Uh, and I would just say that they also do a great job of giving us little short backstories of some of the characters when it's needed and at very kind of opportune moments to kind of recontextualize stuff we've seen before then. That's really yes. great. And there's a main couple that we follow. They're great because that gives us a grounding. We're not just with the whole group. We have a main couple and they're kind of the heart and soul of this movie. And then, of course, we have, I would say, four or five other key figures that we keep coming back to within the, the crowd. Uh, and, and they're all interesting. All the incidental characters are interesting yeah, as well. They are incident interesting. And like a lot of South Korean movies, it doesn't exactly go in the way that you would expect in the kind of the Western version of this. So I was appreciative of that as well. It gets emotional. It gets a little bit violent you know, fairly violent, uh, but not like super duper violent, not like zombie movie violent. It has really good, like, um, apocalyptic effects. I thought they were pretty seamless as far as that goes. So, um, I, I really like this movie. There, there's one effect where you feel like you're on a roller coaster and it's, you're going, Oh my gosh, what just happened? And there is a sudden, let's just say there is a death, which it's not a spoiler, but there is just a death where I go, that just happened. What the heck? <laughs> this is weird. So very, some really interesting action sequences as well, along with the drama. Eric Holmes. I was going to say, that's not a spoiler at all, because you said there's a death and you were amazed by it or floored by it. And I can't think of which one you're talking about. 
Oh, of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to give hints. Yeah, I'm not, I will the, not give the, hints. There's, there's more than a few of those. Um, this movie was incredibly frustrating in all the same ways that Don't Look Up was because this is a mirror to our society, like a thousand percent. And as frustrating as it is, that's why I love this so much. You know, we had the, the, the delegate, I guess, how he's chosen. The first action is let's get rid of everyone in the apartment. It's like, well, I understand it, right? that with more people means you need more resources, but the ideal thing, but humans are resources. Like, um, hey, uh, Bruce, if we kick you out of the apartment, what happens if you're the only pilot in this apartment and we find an airplane and we can fly somewhere? Well, now we can't because you're gone. You know, hey, Greg, what if you're a, a science a scientist and you can uh, create or an engineer and you can create something that would help us live in this one area? But now you can't because we kicked you out. So first of all, they, they hired uh, they voted someone to be a delegate or president or leader of some sort. And their first um, their first action that they took was the worst one that they could have taken. It's like, hey, if we're going to organize, let's organize all of us, you know, let's all work together because we have a bunch of us. We can work together. You know, we can search more areas, so on and so forth. But, you know, as humans do, we tend to shoot ourselves in the foot um, and work against our own best interests. And that's exactly what they do in Concrete Utopia. It's frustrating to watch, but it's incredibly realistic because we're idiots. That's that's what we do. Um, we like to think we're the smartest smartest uh, beings on the planet, but we came up with the idea of what makes the smartest person. So we're, we're we're pretty stupid, and this this movie kind of shows that. I will say, like the opening scene, uh, they got like the they got the like news scenes or whatever, and then they kind of they kind of pan across. And at this point, I, I was like, "You, hey, Bruce, I, I had no idea what this movie was going to be," and it kind of pans across. And then you just see the tsunami of concrete, just uh, concrete and lava just like coming up out of the ground. I was like, what? Okay, hold on. What movie is this? And then there's uh there's a bunch of great I don't know what the what do any of you know what the, the budget for this movie is? Because this yeah, movie looked absolutely fantastic. Looks great. Yeah. It, it's because it, if there great. were any it, uh again, like Bruce said, if there's any seams to the the special effects in this. I didn't see it. It all just kind of, I felt like I was in that world. Yeah. It's very, it's very tense. Like Bruce was saying, it's, it's extremely moving at parts you're, you get surprised at. You're, I mean, I, I was surprised all the way, whether it be the violence, the emotion, the twists in the plot. Uh, just, I think overall it's a perfect story. Yes, Eric. There's a, there's a line at the end. Uh, um, which you can cut you can cut this out for which spoiler. I think I, I think I, I, it's a very I, important line that we can't really say about I'll, living. I'll, I'll, I'll say living? You, no, no. Okay, yeah, go ahead. No, See the line. I, if you think it's a spoiler, cut it out. But okay, the, someone asked someone, uh, what was wrong with them, and there was something along the lines of uh, they're just regular people, and I think that's kind of the whole point of this. It's like sure. you're watching the people do these horrible things, and these people aren't special. They're not inherently evil. They're just human. They're stupid idiots like the all the rest of us. And so, you know, when you have this kind of Lord of the Flies kind of thing going on, yeah, you, you know, when you see it in the throes of it, your your thoughts like, what's wrong with those people? When the question you should be asking is, is this normal? Because I think this is normal. I think if I was in this position, I I would be among the mob doing horrible things to each other. 
course. Yeah, that's these are some of the tough questions that people ask. There's a sequence in this movie that is, I can say, heartbreaking, and we can point to several heartbreaking scenes, but I'll just say this. People being human, they will compromise their own values just to get their next meal. Sometimes it's as easy as surviving, and sometimes you will sacrifice a lot of your morality in that process. So anyways, Concrete Utopia, for me... It, it's one of the best films of the year. I loved it. I really love this. I can't wait till the Blu-ray re release hits it on an action level, on a genre level, and also on an emotional storytelling level. Very intelligent film. Concrete Utopia, five stars for me. Bruce? I would say, hmm, it will probably, it could get to five stars. I'm going to go four and a half right now. I also mentioned, I won't say what the scene is, but there is an uncut shot close-up of a person's eyes as they tear up and start to cry that I was just floored by. And I guess I've seen a lot of those in the movies, but that one was just gut-wrenching. <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> a lot of great stuff with all this, with all the action stuff that's going on. And like Eric was saying, with all the special effects, the best special effect that the director uses is the effect of the close-up. Very well done close-up in this movie, close-ups. Eric, your, your rating. Uh, five stars, probably should be 6.9 stars. This thing's a banger. And you said this was a uh, South Korean... South uh, Korean Oscar submission. So hopefully oh, it'll. It, yeah. Hopefully this one wins. This movie's rad. And <laughs> yeah. you should you should do a you should do a triple feature with Idiocracy, Don't Look Up, and Concrete Utopia. Oh, and by the way, I I'll mentioned add, to you. I'll add the mist. <laughs> oh, the mist. Yes, the mist. <laughs> Actually, that's that's not bad. That's not bad. I, I think I mentioned to you guys like the as I'm watching it, like I. I uh, message you guys i'm like i'm waiting for the utopia part oh, yeah, no. <laughs> because bruce you mentioned like the the with the title you don't know what's going on utopia the the title is completely ironic like cynically so it's like oh yeah totally utopia but, you know it's like no <laughs> yeah it, it, it wasn't it wasn't until about halfway through the movie where i realized oh yeah this this uh, this the title for this movie is tongue-in-cheek a thousand percent and again let's not get it twisted this is also an engaging and entertaining movie we're talking about social issues and thematics and emotional investment in the film it is a very engaging film on an entertaining level so entertainment level so that is concrete utopia four and a half for bruce five for me and eric yes eric I would also say uh, Hollywood blockbusters, take notes. The action scenes in this and the special yeah. effects in this movie are amazing. Yes. Let's just say there is a car sequence in this movie that... Oh, God. May, let's just say, let, let, there, get ready for the car sequence in this movie and hold on to your stomach. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Hold on to your stomach. Yeah, Eric. You're going to call this concrete tsunami. <laughs> I know. Okay. That is concrete utopia. Next up, this will be a quick review because not I'm not denigrating the film. I feel like this is not an inside baseball film, but this is, Eric likes to say, this is a documentary for people who likes this specific documentary. And that documentary is Immediate Family. It is directed by Denny Tedesco. He is the director from the acclaimed music documentary from maybe 15 years ago, close to that, The Wrecking Crew. So The Wrecking Crew, when it came out, received a share of acclaim. Denny Tedesco's father was among the members of the Wrecking Crew. So they were session musicians from the 60s. And you got to get sort of a, an inside look at their lives and their impact from music made in the 60s. Jump to the 70s and the 80s. Now we have Immediate Family. Immediate Family consists of 
popular studio session musicians Danny Korchmar, Leland Sklar, Russ Kunkel, and Wadi Wachtel. And you get to see throughout this documentary how each of these members really impacted music as studio mu musicians. And you're thinking, do I just, I don't really know these people very well. Are these people interesting? Well, I found them interesting, but here's the thing. Most of the immediate family features A-list musicians, music stars, vouching for these members, these immediate family members. Coincidentally, these Danny Korchmar, Leland Sklar, Russ Kunkel, Wadi Wachel, uh, all these guys, these guys actually formed a group called the, the immediate family. So that's why the, the actual group and the documentary is named immediate family. They're an interesting group, but more importantly, you get to hear how brilliant they are, not through just B-roll footage or footage for, from them playing, but from testimonials from Keith Richards, Stevie Nicks, James Taylor, Phil Collins, late David Crosby, the list goes on and on. So many, Don Henley, if you like any of those musicians, if you like the music from this time period, this is a no-brainer watch for me, especially, and, and if you like the Wrecking Crew. So this is right up my alley, and that's why I, I'm just giving this a, a solid four-star recommend, but I don't know. I, I want to take it to you, Eric. It, is it too inside baseball for a certain select core people who like this kind of era of music, or do you think it can reach a little bit further downfield for a broader audience regarding immediate? Oh, wait, Eric, you didn't see you it. You asked Bruce. me or Bruce, because I didn't see this. <laughs> you, you should, well, I guess I guess you're not part of that, that crowd, Bruce. <laughs> Sorry, my bad, Eric. Um, well, okay, yeah. I, I guess I'll give a little testimony because this is not really, I'm not against this kind of music, but it's not really my bread and butter, not my, the mu music that I normally gravitate to. Although, you know, I can listen to an Eagle song or, or whatever, pick a song from some of those groups and they're, they're, mm. they're perfectly good and I can understand the value of them, but I'm going to go more for like punk rock or, yeah. or indie music or metal or something from a, like the 80s and 90s and so you're not so listening forth. to andrew gold or blue bayou from <laughs> linda ronstadt that's not you not or... so much not so yeah. much but on the good side of this so there there's there is a lot of interesting stuff in here and i think that you don't have to be necessarily bought into that music but like you said if this is your this oh. is right in your wheelhouse then this is a no-brainer right so i'm kind of talking for the people that maybe isn't quite in their real wheelhouse but they like music they're really interested in music they like just hearing about different time periods. I think that has a lot to offer. Several things that I think it does have going for it. One, all of the members of this studio session grouping that they kind of called the immediate family um, are alive. They're here to talk to us about their experiences. Yeah. And so are a lot of the artists they worked with. So right there, you can see this movie being made, you know, 20 years down the line. And some of these guys might be gone and, and a lot of the artists will be gone and you're going to have to do a lot of it through talking heads historically talking as opposed to the actual people talking and the other thing that i think is really valuable is they have tons of interesting weird memories from these people so they don't just just get in the technical aspect of like hey when i played on this carol king record i brought this to the table sure there's some of that there but there's a lot of other just Weird stuff that you would never get if you didn't have the real people talking. They have a real round table with the main dudes, but they also talk with a lot of the, the artists. So you'll get a some weird anecdote about them going with Linda Ronstadt into a strip joint in like West Virginia or something. I yes. Mean, where are you going to get that? And there's weird stories like that throughout this movie. And I think that really adds that kind of unique human element that, that gives it a level of interest. And on top of that, the one thing that they kind of point out with this is 
before this, you'd have these huge influential studio musicians that were just lost to history. They were just, no one knew about it except the people in the industry. Yeah. This was the first generation where they got put on the album. People started following the studio musicians to see what albums and what artists they worked with and started following artists productions that had those studio musicians as part of the ensemble. So they became kind of like, okay, people who love certain character actors and they just want to watch anything that Steve Buscemi's in or something, you know, um, this is kind of like that, right? Like people, there were people that were just like groupies of these studio musicians. They became kind of mini celebrities in their own rights. Not even mini as much as that. They kind of became celebrities in their own rights and they yeah. toured with the band and all this stuff. So that was also a little bit different. Overall, I thought it was quite interesting. I wouldn't say it goes into the highest stratosphere of, of documentaries for me, but this is like a, a, an easy watch and an entertaining watch throughout, I think. Yeah, the, going to the personal stuff, I, I was surprised about you, your, you, the Stevie Nicks interview, the Phil mm -hmm. Collins interview. You see how really how they are attached to these musicians, how they're very, and then early James Taylor, how he wanted to your point, Bruce, he wanted to put these musicians to the forefront. It was James Taylor and these musicians who should be on equal footing to him as him, as he was implying. And for a while, these, some of these musicians formed their own group called the section, the section. And it's alluded to in the documentary, the section had three albums out in the early to mid seventies. And now a lot of these members are part of the new group called the Immediate Family. Yeah, it's a very value-added experience for me. I'm glad you liked it, Bruce. Again, my rating was four. What are you slapping down your rating on Immediate Family? <laughs> I'll probably go three and a half. But it, uh, yeah, this is definitely, if you're in that grouping of music, for sure, you're going to even like it more. So, Great companion piece to the Wrecking Crew. I don't know if you've seen the Wrecking Crew, Bruce, but if you liked Immediate Family, I think Wrecking, the Wrecking Crew, not like you have time to watch a whole ton of movies, but if you like this, you're going to probably even like The Wrecking Crew even a little bit more, too. So, I don't know. Four for me, three and a half for Bruce. Immediate family. Now, av av no, actually available everywhere on December 15th. Now, let's go to our recommends. These are, I forgot to tell you, these are 10-second recommends. So, Bruce, you have, uh... <laughs> wait, let's start, off for, let's start off with the lightning round first. Eric Holmes, what is coming out on Tubi? On December 15th, and why are you recommending Getaway If You Can? Why are you recommending it? Uh, Getaway If You Can, uh, directed, written and directed by Dominique Braun and Terrence Martin. Uh, I did an interview with Terrence Martin, and I believe he was also just on the Middle Class Film Class, mm -hmm. and was also on Force 5 Podcasts. And he made a, uh, him and his wife made a pretty cool movie. The, the, I believe I talked about this uh, a month or so ago, and this is not normally the movie I gravitate towards, but there was a, a lot of good relationship stuff in it. And a lot of, like the quiet moments made sense. Usually in movies like this that I, I would call indie porn, uh, I wouldn't call this one indie porn because this one kind of earns everything it does. But in indie porn movies, it has shots where it's just looking at a wall and I'm trying to put something there. But all I'm looking at is the runtime and, and let, let's get it moving. Uh, but Get Away If You Can has the quiet moments and they do so well with the characters and the acting and uh, the back and forth between everyone that the quiet moments actually are earned and make sense and means something to me as I'm watching it. I would recommend it. And it's on Tubi. Uh, I believe as you're listening to this, it'll probably be on Tubi. Uh, if not within a day or two, check it out if you can. 
It's screen out. It's yeah, screen out. Co-stars Ed Harris is also in Getaway. Yes, if you can. Okay, Bruce. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Well, I think this is rewind because I'm pretty sure that Eric uh, reviewed this a year or so ago. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that I'd, I'd heard a lot of negative things from people and not really liking it at all and kind of slamming it as a Gen Z, kind of a just a annoying Gen Zers in a house and it had some stupid twist. That's kind of all I remembered about it and I just put off watching it for, for that reason. And when we watched, um, I already forgot the name of it, uh, the, the movie we just saw last week about the end of the world happening, sort of. With that Concrete movie. Utopia? No, uh, leave the world behind. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. uh, and the character played by Mayahala, <laughs> Mayahala? Marshall Ali, Marshall. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, oh, no, the no. other one, the young woman. Yeah, she. I just noticed when I was looking at her uh, IMDb that she was in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Like, oh, I'll go check out Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Um, all I will say, uh, I think that if you go into it as kind of an a very wry satire on Gen Z culture mixed into a a, a, a drug-addled night of supposed partying gone extremely awry. I think you can have a ton of fun with it. I thought the twist was was kind of a great... Uh, it was a joke, but it was also a great twist to all the people that were involved in the setting of what was happening. It was a great like a punch to their gut, in a way. And I will point out, in some ways, I think you could appreciate it like this. If you know about that very notorious meeting where Shelley's, the Shelley's and the Byron's met and they had this drug addled weekend of the rich and they ended up producing Frankenstein. Have you ever heard of that? That's the real story of that. Oh, yeah. The story of Frankenstein. Yeah, they got a... made it into a movie by Ken Russell called Gothic. Gothic, yeah. This could almost be seen as the Gen Z version of that, but what they produced was this movie. That's the way I was thinking when I was watching this. So, yeah, oh, just a way cool. to think about it. Um, and Godzilla minus one. You want to talk Wait, about what, that? Would, what would your rating be on Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Oh, oh yes, four. I'll give it four stars. I Ooh. quite enjoyed it. Easy, fun watch. Okay, cool. And then Godzilla plus one, minus one, Godzilla, Godzilla, Godzilla movie. minus one. I was told they're beating on simply, <laughs> simply the best Godzilla movie ever made. Okay. Simply the best Godzilla movie ever made. And what Eric said about Concrete Utopia applies to this. Hollywood, take note. This is how you make a big monster movie. First of all, period piece. At the end of World War II, just at the end of World War II, kamikaze pilot, disgraced because he flees his kamikaze duty and he feels guilty and you've got a character right off the bat and he is in the rubbles of, of Tokyo creating a de facto family with other uh, women and a young child that are all basically refugees from that war. And it begins this adventure of him trying to regain his honor, or maybe not. Maybe the old kind of honor isn't exactly what we're looking for. It's a super engaging human story. And then the action and the monster stuff is freaking fantastic. So, so good. And if you can see it in a big screen, I would say do that. I saw uh -huh. it with my kid. There is a whole extended sequence where... Basically, as part of his rehabilitation, I guess, he's trying to find a job in post-war Japan, which is not great, right? And their job is, this isn't like a spoiler, this is just something that happens, is that he has to join this ramshackled crew on this small wooden boat because to clear all of the mines that have been left behind by both sides, you don't want to have a, a, a big metal you know, steel boat because it'll attract the magnetic mines. So they have the wooden boat, little wooden boat. And you immediately set up this really kind of interesting crew, small crew. 
and they have to go out and try to destroy these mines. And right off the bat, you basically set up Jaws. You basically have a Jaws homage right in the middle of this movie. But instead, coming towards them is the head and the entire humongous body of Godzilla right behind this little tiny boat. And some of those action set pieces are freaking amazing. Wow. You might cry watching this movie. They repurposed the original score in this movie to great effect. It's one of the loudest movies I've seen in years. Um, this is a fantastic movie. Wow. Quick question. Um, and I've heard someone else mention the, the kamikaze portion of it. Mm-hmm. Do they actually lean into that at all? Or is it like in the crystal uh, kingdom of the crystal skull where they're like, Oh, maybe Indy's uh, Indiana Jones is a communist. And I'm like, Ooh, that'll be an interesting take. And then they never mention again through the rest of the movie. Oh no. It's the entire basis of his character. I want to see this yeah. <laughs> just, so, okay. just for that part alone. Because like you think of like kamikaze pilots, it's like, that's kind of a, f- up oh sorry this is yes. a family show yeah. that's kind of a messed up way to uh you know treat your soldiers for so the fact that they didn't do it maybe it's through I, I haven't seen it but maybe it's through cowardice or not but regardless he shouldn't have been asked to do that to begin with and th- that would be an interesting conversation it, it is interesting and the entire uh, the entire human story of this movie is about what it means in war Japan or pre-war Japan and what it means in post-war Japan and what is the morality and what is the expectations of soldiers and what is the expectations of the people and what is honorable and what is dishonorable. That's all like the key of this and then you, movie. Then you just yeah. sprinkle in Godzilla carnage in there. And then you just sprinkle in some Hell amazing yes. Godzilla stuff. <laughs> Did you, you should see it before it leaves theaters. I'm telling you. Did you and your son shed a tear for Godzilla minus one, Bruce? I don't know if he did, but I mean, I did. There's, it's, it's, and okay, it is shameless. There is some shameless emotion stuff in here, but I was on board for it. I mean, it was like, yes, give it to me. Just spoon feed it to me. Oh, more, more of that? Okay, that's awesome. Give it to me. It <laughs> looks like I was all for it. Bruce, your rating on Godzilla minus one? Four and a half right now. It could be five easily. I need to see it again probably pretty soon. Oh, and I saw it subtitled. I think they might have some dub versions out there. So look look out for it. Make sure you get a subtitled version. I'm just guessing because I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. want to see anything else. Yeah, keep it. Yeah, I'm, me and dubs, I, I'm not very good with the dubs. Um, Eric, and my kids you... are trained. They don't even want to see anything dubbed. I asked them, you want to see it dubbed? I gave them an option. They said, no. Wow, why would he do that? <laughs> you raised them well, Bruce. Get away if you can, Eric. What was your rating on that? I forgot. You forgot. I don't remember what I gave it. Um, Just like a four? It's got to be somewhere. It it couldn't have been any less than four. Probably four. four. It's somewhere around there. Okay. I really really want you and Bruce to see because like Get Away If You Can is not a movie I gravitate towards at all. But this movie is like cat to both of you. And I think this is a really good version of that kind of movie. Okay. So I think you guys would like it even more than I did. All right, Eric, finally, The Holdovers. Just uh, We all know what it's about. Alexander Payne's latest, and it's getting all the award nominations. Does it deserve it? And Paul Giamatti and the newcomer and the the girl, I think, what's her name? Devine Randolph or something like that. Well, I forgot the name. But what did you think of The Holdovers? I thought it was really good. If you like, I mean, I'm already in the bag for Alexander Payne. Just recently heard out on the cinematics page about his uh, uh, something. Maybe it was uh, being a little handsy with someone, which may or may not have happened. That's unfortunate to hear, especially since Alexander Payne's from my neck of the woods of uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Beyond that, this is a really good Alexander Payne movie. And I'm surprised he didn't write this. 
because it feels like he did him and Jim, his writing partner. I cannot remember his name right now. But anyway, it's kind of on the level of election or sideways. Paul Giamatti is great in this. Dominic Cessna, Devine Joy Randolph is awesome in this. It's kind of got a uh, Harold and Maude kind of feel to it. If you just watch the trailer or look at the poster, it looks like it's kind of homework. But as you watch, and, and this goes with most Alexander Payne movies, like they seem like homework until you watch them. And then you realize that they're, they have a lot more comedy and a lot more comedy than you would expect and a lot more dark humor than you would expect. You know, it gets to the end where the uh, other shoe drops and it gets uh, really sad at parts. But yeah, the story is basically Paul Giamatti's uh, running a class. Well, I think most people know the yeah, story, but Paul Giamatti's running a class. People are held over through Christmas break. And the people that are held over get to go on a trip, except for one uh, kid, Dominic Cessna, and Paul Giamatti and Devon. Joy Randolph are there to watch over them. And then they learn to accept each other through the power of love and friendship. Very but good. yeah, the holdovers is good stuff. Cool. What is your rating on the holdovers? I'd probably give it four, four and a half. We'll go four and a half. Four and a half for we'll the holdovers. Yeah. Finally, leave the world behind. Both Bruce and I loved it from last week. Eric, I'm, I'm assuming that you concur. Anything you loved it as well? I believe Bruce thought that I would be annoyed by Ethan Hawke's character. Was that correct? Yes. I actually, he was the only character I liked. <laughs> Ooh, okay. <laughs> because it, it it wasn't so much that like because I think what Bruce mentioned was that Ethan Hawke couldn't make a decision. I think that like early on, he was like, well, when Julia Roberts was freaking out about the people coming over, he was like, it's not that big of a deal. And if I was in the position, I'd probably be the, you know, I'd probably do the same thing. Granted, if I was in a horror movie, that would get me killed. So be it. That's just how I roll. <laughs> you know, some people like. Hey, uh, we talked on the the email. Oh yeah, yeah, come on in. And that you know that would be all I thought of it. What I really loved about this movie was the joke at the end by physical media because you never know when the end of the world. Is yep. Happen. <laughs> this movie's like this movie's like the longest moth joke that uh, Norm Macdonald did. It's just all set up, and then just for that stupid punchline at the end, that's gonna leave the world behind. It kind of gets points for that. I didn't love the movie, but I, I appreciated it. Leave the and, world uh, behind. Four and a half yeah. for Bruce. I gave it four. What do you give it, Eric? I, I give it four stars. Um, four stars? I, 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 this is getting politicized. I don't know why, but whatever. Oh, never mind. I do know why. Barack and Michelle Obama produced it. So yeah. ignore that. Yeah. It's I, not that big of a deal. But yeah, the, you know, the movies, movies are worth watching. It, it's a little silly and stupid in parts, but. That 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 last gag at the end was freaking hilarious. Yeah, it's interesting for our cinematics Facebook group. There are some people who really love it, some people don't. It's getting mixed reviews, but mixed in the sense that people feel strongly either here or there on Leave the World Behind. That's four stars from Eric Holmes. Finally, we get to play the music from Peter Beta from Middle Class Film Class. And what does he do every single week, Bruce? Almost every single week, but I've kicked him to the curb a couple of times. What does yeah, he do? I say, he don't let him ever do it. He's sitting in a corner, sadly, like crying. He's just sitting like, there with his music box. Please, when will please. I get to turn? <laughs> when, do I get to, when do I get to play the beat, Sad please? little organ grinder. Don't get to yep. grind my organ. <laughs> but before you drop the beat, Pete, good job. Go, go check out Middle Class Film Class over at their YouTube channel. They do some great work. That's Tyler Noe and Joseph Navarro. I watch their YouTube vids a lot. I like in their shorts, some very interesting stuff that they have on their channel. 
Please subscribe. And until then, Pete, drop that Pete. Remove your hand from the box and you die. What's in the box? Box time in the heat of the night. Norman Jewison, Sydney Poitier. Bruce, why don't you say something? Yes. Part edited by. Hmm. Who was it edited by? I, had a note I, I heard he did movies that people <laughs> liked. Yeah. Hmm. We'll let yeah. you look that up. You'll find it. Oh, wow. <laughs> did he, uh, I just yeah, remember. Did he, did he direct one of your favorite movies, if not your favorite movie of all time, Bruce? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Huh? You, know, you have to listen to that episode and find out. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> maybe his initial might be, ha, I'm a ha. I could have told you, but I'm not telling music you. Music by <laughs> Quincy <Yeah>. Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, music by Quincy. Yeah, Quincy Jones is great. Quincy Jones. So anyway, we got Roy Steiger, Sidney Poitier. This is, if you don't know, you call me Mr. Tibbs, comes from this movie. So he is uh, Virgil Tibbs, Sidney Poitier. And you've got Warren Oates, and you got Lee Grant, and you got a bunch of people in this. But that's some of the, the big ones. This is from 1967. It is in Sparta, Mississippi, although I think it was filmed in like Illinois or something. They had to film it in the north because they were afraid to even film it in the south, which should tell you a lot about the time when this was filmed and how daring this movie was at the time it was filmed. Basic concept is this. You start out, you've got the small town southern cop driving around town, doing his nightly rounds, stopping at the diner, stopping to look in the window of the woman who uh, doesn't close her window blinds and likes to hang out in the, all together. And he heads down an alleyway and he finds a body. And immediately they're trying to figure out who killed the, the rich guy who's coming to town to build a factory, if I remember correctly. This guy's been killed. And lo and behold, they go down to the local train station as they're looking around to see if they find any suspects. Virgil Tibbs is there. And since he's a, a black man, immediately suspect. <laughs> Put your hands up. They call him all kinds of things that I'm not going to say here. Drag him into the small town sheriff office that's not so much like Andy Griffith. It's a little bit hardcore. Rod Steiger and all of them are just immediately think he's he's the guy. And he very quickly, he being Virgil Tibbs, very quickly says, I'm a cop. I'm from the north. I'm just trying to catch a train. What the heck's wrong with you guys? So begins a, a preposterous plot that he's going to have to stay in the town to help solve the murder too. But you know what? That's okay. That's just the setup to get us to all this interesting, in its time, social commentary mixed with a mystery where basically you have northerner black cop having to begrudgingly work with southern not very, uh, not very progressive cop. And he also is very begrudgingly having to work with the uh, man from the North. And that's kind of the, the setup of this movie. And it's quite something. I was pretty riveted throughout. I think that it, it does suffer a little bit. If you haven't seen it in its day, it probably would impact you more because obviously this is what, 50, 60 years old now almost. So you have a little bit of that overheated acting that you get in the older movies. But a lot of it still is surprisingly potent, I think. And it's just a very engaging crime movie as well as a social commentary. I, I loved it. That was great. This movie won how many Oscars? My goodness, it won Best Picture Oscar. Rod Steiger won for Best Actor. Best Director was a nominee. That was Norman Jewison. But also won for Best Screenplay, Sterling from Sterling Siliphant. And it won for Best Sound as well. So a lot of great and also... One for editing for an editor who goes by the initials H.A. So very interesting 
Oscar wins. Eric, I think this is probably second, third time you've seen in the heat of the night. Your thoughts on the rewatch? I don't know why Batman is known as the world's greatest detective when Virgil Tibbs is on the table. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty awesome. It's kind of like a, a crime or a cop procedural. This is really good. Uh, and then they throw in, you know, they sprinkle in the, well, don't sprinkle in, they dump in the racial disparity in this, uh, which is a big part of this. I also started watching They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, which is a sequel to this. And I thought there was only one sequel. There's another sequel, third one called The Organization. I've not seen that. And I still got like 20 minutes left of They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, but Mr. Tibbs, this is the better of the two so far. I mean, the the ending to They Call Me Mr. Tibbs could just blow me away. And, but so far, this is the better of the two. But They Call Me Mr. Tibbs so far is really good as well. That basically takes place in Virgil Tibbs' hometown him doing his thing. So here he's working outside of his comfort zone uh, among people that hate him and don't want to listen to him, but like he's the smartest and most qualified person in the room. Yeah. It it was really satisfying to just kind of watch him go in and just prove them all like, Oh, this black guy doesn't know anything. He's just black guy. And (laughs) he's, he's probably the killer who knows. And then like Virgil tips, like figure something out. And then the other cops are like, guess what we just found. I was like, you guys didn't do crap. You just sat there. Oh yeah. Rod Steiger's character would be like, he would just get like a semblance of a clue and he'd throw the guy in jail. He did like, how many times did he do that in the movie? He just kept throwing people in jail and they kept being wrong. The funny thing is, <laughs> things like... haven't changed much. <laughs> no. And it was like, thank goodness there's one smart person in the room that was like, I, I couldn't have done that because he had to drive here and here and he couldn't have done both at the same time. And they're like, oh, darn it. Okay, find a new one. Who's the next Who's the next victim to go yeah. in jail? Uh, the, the, only, the only place where this gets kind of cheesy is because at the end it's like, I used to be racist and now I've learned the error of my ways and can we be friends? I was like, like, uh, that's, I'm, but I, I mean, this came out in what 67, so you kind of just roll with it. If this came out today, I'd kind of be rolling my eyes at some of it, but also, I think this is kind of one of those movies like that. This movie's Stone Cold Classic that I think a lot of movies kind of borrowed from. So, like, a lot of the stuff in this that's dated now is dated because it's been ripped off many times over. Okay, so that is In the Heat of the Night. Is it worth a Criterion collection purchase as far as on yeah. Blu ray? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, very, very good. You're rating Eric Holmes on In the Heat of the Night. I give this classic status five stars. Cloud five, oh, classic I mean, status. I, I, like I said, there's stuff that's dated, but you have to think of this like, when did this movie come out? And I'm, I'm trying to think of it as me watching the movie for the time, not watching the movie in 2023. Okay, Bruce? I, I give it five stars. I, I guess it should be classic status, but um, yeah, five stars for me. And once again, same thing. Like I look at certain things and go like, okay, best actor, boy, he's he's the biggest actor here. I mean, they're definitely acting up storms. And But you know, all that stuff, like you said, is part of it's the time, part of it's the setting. And also remembering this movie is literally dangerous to the actors to even be filmed in the place that they're trying to, to they're pretending to set it. That should tell you something right there. This is the kind of movie that someone could have got killed for so mm-hmm. that's that's kind of incredible. All right. So that is the incredible movie. In the heat of the night, it is five stars for both Eric and Bruce. It's available on Criterion Channel. I think, Bruce, you rented it. I think you guys both rented it on digital. Or, yeah, I think I did have to rent it. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. Okay. Very cool. But still worth worth the money. I'm glad you Oh, yeah, for sure. It. Before we sign off, Bruce, I did not forget. You're going to shake that box and you're going to pull something out of that box. And I'm not, that's not a euphemism. That's a, that's a real box. Please email bruceperky at gmail.com. Yeah, what's in the box? What's in the bleeping box? 
BruceBerkey at gmail.com. If you want, this does feel weird that Greg didn't forget. Reckon, yeah, I know. <laughs> he must have known. He must have known. He's like, wait, something. wait, what's going on? We skipped the part where Bruce has to say, hey, Greg, what about this? <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think I know why Greg didn't forget because he must have flown out here and got out of his house for once. <laughs> and snuck into my house. I don't know why he did that. That was a little creepy. And he, he made sure that I picked out the great silence, 1968. Oh, oh nice. yes. Sergio Corbucci. Did we yes. cover that or was that like in movie Don't, mainline days? Eric, you and I saw two two years ago. You remember the ending, right, Eric? For the Great Silence? Do you not remember the ending? So there's that one and uh, what some something, something with crosses. Full of tombstones or a graveyard full of crosses or there's those two movies that run together for me. I can't remember. So th- this will be a good example. Or this will be a good excuse to rewatch it. Yes, the Great Silence. Bruce, I'm so Sergio Corbucci. The next week we're going to do a Sergio Corbucci film. I am so excited. <laughs> the great silence. I am. Yes. I'm finally, I'm finally like not comatose. I'm so excited for this. You know who loves this movie? See, that's why you remember right. it. I told you. You do. No, no. You know who loves this movie? And I like an Tarantino idiot. Tarantino. I actually. This movie. No. Okay. Well. Then, no, uh, okay. Juan okay, well, Diego Escobar Alzate bring this up? I believe so. He likes Corbucci as well. He's a great uh alzati is a like us he's he's a wonderful cinephile and he loves corbucci this movie obviously is a direct inspiration for bruce and eric what's the oh what was the movie where he's in the cabin where it's all snowbound western the hateful eight oh the great silence is a direct influence on the hateful eight that's number one yeah yeah i can see that number two which i feel so bad about several years ago i i had the actual blu-ray for (laughs) The Great Silence, and I hawked it for some other DVDs. I traded it in. I didn't even get cash. I traded it in like an idiot because on that Blu-ray, which is from Film Movement, I've got. In fact, I, I better buy that again. One of the special features is director Alex Cox, best known uh, for Repo <laughs> yes, Man, and uh, one of my all-time favorite films, Highway Patrolman, is yes. actually talking about how much he loves The Great Silence. That, so if I'm not going to endorse it, yes, Eric. Highway Patrolman is another one I got to watch again. That movie's so good. That movie's so good, right? Oh, Such that's, a, that's a perfect example of us just randomly picking something and just you never know what you're going to find. And I, I love that about the this this experience in general. We don't know what Concrete Utopia is going to be, and we got Concrete Concrete Utopia this week. So just when that kind of thing happens, or like you said, like an old movie by Alex Cox we've never even really heard of, and you're like, what the heck is this movie? <laughs> did we overshoot the mark when we did that? Because I was saying how much that movie rocks. Do you? We were right. We were pretty much high euphoric on that movie, correct? I was. Euphoric. We all still remember it very, very, very fondly. So I mean, everyone has their own taste, but maybe that one just is one of those that just kind of lands in all of our like zones, you know, <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah, kind of like like I didn't know what Walden was going in, but hey. Courtroom drama, stenographer, hell yeah! And, uh, get, stenographer you know, get, that turns vigilante, hell yeah! Get, and guess what? I loved it just as much as you, Eric. And unfortunately, Bruce didn't. But it's the bottom oh, line Bruce, is we Bruce all Bruce loved it too. He's oh, here we go, <laughs> here we go. Don't I got do a tattoo that. in my arm. It's just... <laughs> Don't do that to Bruce. Okay, so next week the what is it? The Great Silence. The Great Silence. Next week from Sergio Corbucci. That's what's in the box. Final thoughts, Eric Holmes. A couple of things you want to say. Find your film podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. We got a couple of movies coming out. Wonka. I'm sure that's going to be great. Who knows? Um, <laughs> okay. We got um, based on some chocolate got, stuff, huh? Yeah. yeah we yeah. got American Fiction okay. doing a okay. limited run. Yep. Really okay, looking good. forward to that one. Okay. Zone uh, yeah. of Interest apparently is coming out Friday on VOD and digital. Yeah. Okay. And, and there's a movie called things. Control coming out in a limited run starring who? Control? Kevin Spacey. 
Oh, that's interesting. I think Apparently he's doing movies again. So wow, uh, okay. I, I I I guess good for him. That feels kind of dirty to say, but not whatever. guilty. Hashtag. I I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't think I, 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 I can say not canceled. I can, <laughs> not, hashtag movie. not canceled. Not canceled. And I think Poor Things comes out on Friday. I think Bruce is a big Yorgos fan out of. All three of us. I'm um, putting words in your mouth. Oh, oh, wait, wait, Eric. I would also point out that uh, you can hit up the merch store, find your film podcast. Oh, they're very good. He's pointing scripts. Yes, and we I will connect it. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not pointing at nothing. But <laughs> we will connect. You might, them you might find a little surprise on finderfilmpodcast.com if you look. Okay, Bruce, and then final couple of things before you go. For the two people that are like me who have not seen Barb. Barbie or Oppenheimer? I guess Barbie's coming out on HBO this week, so I guess I'll watch that eventually. So okay, all <laughs> right. Barbie's all right. actually really good, like uh, really good. Okay, that's what I heard. Cool. I I don't know if we covered it, but I, yeah, I, I watched that and I was like blown away. I was like, how is this? This movie should be stupid. How is this good? Can I be honest with you? I'm just excited for Bruce to actually do a teardown on Oppenheimer. I'm just waiting for that review. I am waiting for that review. I'm also waiting for Claire and here she is. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for joining Cinematics.